I think it's Curtis's turn. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Welcome to this Freelancer Show, episode 256. Today we're going to be talking about boundaries with clients. And we have today Philip with us. Hello, hello. And some other guy, Jonathan. Jonathan, that's his name. Hello. (laughs) So boundaries, I guess since I brought it up, uh, I'll lead out the conversation. And there's a bunch of different boundaries we can have. And one of them that we talk about often is you're having your niche, right? You set a boundary around what clients you will take, or I only do calls on Tuesdays is another boundary that I have. So what about either of you two? Do you have boundaries you're putting in with your clients? I have been slowly working my way up to having Thursdays completely free. Uh, I, I actually, I think I've gotten there. I haven't had a, I haven't had an appointment on a Thursday in a long time. So I guess it's fair to say that I've crept up onto that four day a week thing. Why, why Thursdays? Just because that was the easiest day to do it. Uh, I typically have Tuesdays and Wednesdays are important days every other week for my main consulting client because we do every other week push to the server Mm. to the production server so i didn't want to change that wednesday thing and there's a tuesday deadline associated with it so tuesday and wednesday we're out Uh, monday always feels like a day to catch up on all the junk that i didn't get to i don't know it's just like fridays i had a couple of meetings already so thursday was already the lightest day so i was like oh let's make it a little lighter nice and how does that feel to have a thursday all free Honestly, I usually waste it. <laughs> so, so you need more boundaries. Eh? I'm, I'm literally realizing right now that I successfully achieved the Thursday off thing. I, I didn't even consciously think I, like a long time ago, Philip was saying he was going down to a four day week. And I was like, I should try and do that too. Mm. It would be Thursdays. And, and I just sort of slowly tried to push off meetings on that day. And, and now that we're talking about it, I've realized that I've done it. So now I should probably put something in those days. You, I think looking back on it, what I tend to do on that day is, is still work stuff, but it's the most fun parts of my work. So like I'll record a podcast episode or I'll, I'll do some writing or work on a book, which I thoroughly enjoy all of those things. And it's nice to have all that space set aside to, you know, not have any distractions and, and get that stuff done. I love that stuff. So it doesn't feel like work. I don't know if that's a cop out though. I used to do years ago. I had my Friday afternoon after 12 was all mine to do whatever. And some days it would be a big bike ride. And some days it'd be like hop on the bike and roll to a coffee shop and read something or do some writing. It was kind of a day when I could choose whatever I wanted. There was no, no requirement outside of picking up my kid at four o'clock from school. I think that leads to the question I had, which is, uh, Curtis, I'll, I'll pick on you first. So why why do you have boundaries? I know that sounds like the dumbest question in the world, but <laughs> I, bet, I bet the answer will be pretty interesting. I have boundaries because it eliminates decisions, right? 
I think Paul Jarvis just wrote about this recently with he's talking or I heard it. Maybe I heard him on um, uh, whatever the you gurus podcast is a digital agency show, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talked about like when people ask him for a speaking engagement, he just says, I don't do those. Mm-hmm. It's a boundary. He said, it's not, I choose not to, it's, I don't do it. Right. When a client says, Hey, I, I give them my call link through Calendly and say, get on the phone here or get on zoom here. Cause it sets up a zoom call for me as well. If they say, I'm sorry, I don't do call. They tell me I, they don't do calls on Tuesdays. I just say, well, we can't work together because mm. that way I have to d- evaluate every week, whether is it worth on a Wednesday diving in and breaking up my free day? Cause I have Monday, Wednesday and Thursday, totally free, no appointments, no nothing working on code or writing. I don't have to decide. I just say, no, I do calls on Tuesdays. If we don't fit the initial call on Tuesdays, then I don't have to. Like, then we're just not a good fit. But I also set it, I also set like a lot more boundaries than that, even. I just started in the last couple of weeks to only do email on Tuesdays and Fridays because those are the days I have calls, right? So I was on this podcast. I was on calls basically since eight o'clock this morning and it's currently 1048. And then I have nothing tomorrow and I won't even check email. I have nothing Thursday and I won't check email. And then Friday I'm between coaching calls and there's about a half hour gap between a few of them. So I can check email then and just set a a boundary. So you don't get drawn into his emails. So, you know, visibly productive because you reply to people and yet so often a waste or not like the most effective use of your time, easy to expand to fill whatever time is available. So that's some of the reasons we even set them with like, my wife knows that my phone is in mute mode. If she's in the, like almost all the time, if she has an emergency, she can call me. If she just wants to vent that the kids are doing something dumb, she texts me and I don't even see it. <laughs> but it lets her vent, right? It lets her vent. She just wants to vent. She's like, I don't even need you to say anything. I just need to vent. And I'm like, okay. Cause the kid, we were potty training once she pooped on the floor again today or something like that, <laughs> something like that. Right. And I, I get to see it and, but there's nothing I need to actually come deal with. So my phone will be on uh, do not disturb mode, actually, which doesn't let the text messages through. But if she calls me, there's, you know, if someone had to go to the hospital, I need to come home. I would get the call immediately. Mm-hmm. And she, has, she has, has a special ring as well. So like if I was focusing and somebody called me that didn't have her ring, I just would ignore it. So not that they should get through in theory anyways, but I did that years ago for bike rides. If I was on a bike ride and it wasn't my wife, I just didn't even stop. Mm-hmm. I just kept going because it was not important. So she knew I was on a ride and she would, if she called, it was, there was a reason. So you're saying it's to reduce the number of decisions you have to make. And then also it sounds like with the email and the, the no call days, it's like to protect your ability to get stuff done. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's me choose. Like I set up on another boundary I set up is I set up on Friday for client stuff. And if they tell me on Monday they want stuff, it generally doesn't actually fit into my week. So I don't worry about it. That's another boundary I've set up that has to be very important to break up the week. I know myself, I like a plan and I don't, it feels like a struggle to deviate from it. So I don't. So Curtis, have you ever, has it ever been difficult for you to say no to anybody in your life period? (laughs) (laughs) Anybody in my life period? Uh, Yes, actually the hardest person to say no to is my wife when she says like the kids are being bad or they're being kids, right? They're six, three in a year. They're doing kid things like potty training and not doing well. When she says that, I feel an absolute like visceral need to go help solve the problem immediately, mm-hmm. which is why we instituted the like you can vent and I won't see it. It's actually been another great benefit of being uh, on Linux for the last number of months now because I don't get iMessages. I just don't even see them. So 
it's that's it i turned it off on my ipad so that is one person i have a well you know i chose to spend life with her so for the last 14 years but i I just can't i feel like this need to stop whatever i'm doing and go home even if there's really nothing i can do just Mm -hmm. being there and you know for 20 minutes and giving her like a break Mm -hmm. um feels like i have to do it so what what about clients though have you ever felt that same sort of like ah they need my help i should just be the hero today i should jump in there and fix it no okay and i don't say no i don't know if i say no a lot though right like i'll Tell a client, yes. I just had one recently, some a good client that got back to me and you know, project was slow on my part and then very slow on their part. And then when they got back to me a couple months later, it was, you know, slow to me for me to get back to it. And so we've gone through that a little bit. And when they got back to me again, I was like, I can't work on this. I said, Yes, I can absolutely look at that. Um, but I can't look at it for a week and a half. And he was like, Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to I try in many ways to say yes but then put a restriction on it, which may even mean like when a client says, I want weekend support, I say, absolutely, I can do that. It's $20,000 a month. And they say, what? I'm like, well, I don't want to do it. It's the big thing. <laughs> so I said, yes, but then they choose that where the value is. Mm-hmm. Right? And I try to price it well outside of their value or high enough that I would just hire someone anyways to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I am a sort of a recovering people pleaser. So <clears throat> I've always had trouble with setting... Mm, I don't even know what the right modifier to use is. I guess just boundaries, period. But I want to modify it by saying boundaries that are fair to me and the other person. Like, just my personality is not one that's like, oh, that doesn't work for you? Too bad. (laughs) Like, if it's someone that, you know, I I have a relationship with, I just, I feel like I can't do that to them. But why not? There's a great book called Boundaries, funny enough, by Dr. Henry McLeod. And... So here's a great example. So a friend of mine was like, hey, I'd love to get together for coffee. And we have a general rule that I, if I'm going to go out in the evening or something, I once per week, that's it. And like once per week, even as a family. So if like it's date, date nights come up or something, then I just say no. Um, or I make them meet on my schedule. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, sure, I'll meet you at 6 a.m. on Saturday for an hour. Right? I don't feel bad about that. I mean, mm-hmm. And ultimately, if they're mad that I can't meet them for coffee, whose problem is that? I know. I'm so envious, envious of that way of seeing the world. (laughs) It's their, it's ultimately it's their problem, right? Just like a client comes to you and says, I got 500 bucks for something. And you say, I can't do that. And they get mad at you, but whose problem is it? Yeah, it's theirs. And now clearly there's a sliding scale, right? Like when my wife says she needs help with something, we, I, we do it all possible. Right. One of my, our, you know, really good families we hang out with. If you called me at midnight and said, Hey, like, our we we gotta haul out some heavy stuff because like our dishwasher is exploding and so i i I just hop on the car and go down there right some other person that i've met a couple times called me at midnight i'd probably be like god no Mm. right even even with say my call boundary i've done pushes at different times for uh, a couple months to get on podcasts and when they say hey tuesdays don't work for me and but they give me another time i try to work it into my schedule because that's at a time when i make i decide for a certain amount of time i will make exceptions Right. Mm-hmm. Now, even then I may set a boundary saying like if someone, whatever podcast says they can do it on a Wednesday morning, I'll say, okay. And I'll do it on Wednesday morning. If the next podcast says, well, I can do it next, like the same week on a Thursday morning, I'd probably say, no, I'm sorry. I can't do that. Can we do the next Thursday? Cause then I'm only taking one extra morning out of my week of focus as opposed to, you know, random, a random call in the middle of every kind of work block. You know, since Alan Weiss has sort of migrated to, uh, being a pseudo life coach, <laughs> 
I, I, I'll see him occasionally. He's got like a rotation of provocative sayings that he'll tweet out. And one of them is that you should be comfortable with saying no without a justification. Have you seen that one, Jonathan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true too. It's a, it's, I think it's really important to, because sometimes you can't come up with a justification that you want to say and that causes you to say yes. <laughs> Cause you're like, oh, I can't come up with a good reason. I just know I don't want to do it. And I don't want to just say no. Yeah. For me, that's, uh, that's like, that's going to be one of my life goals is to get to that point. <laughs> yeah. It, it, so, I mean, it, it's, it's very based on my personality. I'm, I'm not at all saying, well, you should have no boundaries, but I, I just, I'm sort of the, the proxy in this conversation for the whole group of people I think who have trouble with boundaries, have trouble saying no with no justification or no explanation. Yeah. So where I feel it just with one person, really, Cynthia, you feel it, my wife, you feel it with many more people where I just can't do that. Yeah. It's, it's just a, it's, it's more challenging to, uh, no matter what the reason is, like there's times when I have a, a, a plenty good justification, but there, there is a certain personality type that just has trouble setting boundaries. So uh, that's I, why I wonder, though, if you said like I'll go out for coffee once, right, or I'll have one night out per week that's not you know on date night or something, right? Would that help? Because then you could say, well, I've already done it this week. They say, someone else says, can we go for coffee? You could say, I can't this week because I'm already booked, but I could do it next week. One of the interesting things about this personality type, I can tell you from experience, is it's much easier to, you know, you know, the old sort of car dealer situation where you're going to buy a car, you're talking to the salesperson, they're like, okay, I got to run this past my boss, or I got to run this past the sales manager, right? It's, if you have trouble saying no, if you have trouble setting boundaries, it's always easier to to have some external reason why. So you're like, yeah, I can't, you know, I already made plans with my wife and don't want to cancel or so yeah, those those kind of like systems or reasons why that aren't just me being capricious. <laughs> and and I don't really mean capricious, I just mean that's what it feels like. It feels like you're just saying no for no good reason, even though uh you might have a good reason. I'm tired. We talked about me doing this in another like in a Slack channel, right, Philip, where I canceled on the speaking engagement. And that's why I canceled on the speaking engagement because our family rule is that if I'm going to go speak somewhere, it's one night per week and that we do not hire a babysitter. And then my wife is on leadership uh, with our church and they had to have a meeting around some staffing issues. It had to be that night. And so I canceled my speaking engagement with about a week to spare. And the person was livid (laughs) we'll say and said lots of nice not nice things about me um but that was the rule and i you know i talked to many people including yourself and other channels and they were all like nah that's your rule of course you should pick family first right and i was home and put my daughters to bed and that sounds like a much better option to me yeah it's i'm somewhere in between you two guys because i i could make the argument that you not you, me, in a situ- similar situation, part of putting family first is providing for them. So it's a, it's a slippery slope, though, because it's really easy for somebody like me and I think probably a lot of freelancers to, without having boundaries, to get swallowed up by work because there are so many people that, because your, your family is outnumbered by your clients most likely, 
you know, the, the number of contacts you have your clients and for them to be placing demands on you all the time that you have to unconditionally, or you feel you have to unconditionally comply with, especially if you're getting paid by the hour. Cause it's like, well, I'm getting paid for it. Then it's tempting to be like, well, I am putting my family first by working myself to the bone. And, you know, obviously Curtis, we all know that that's mm-hmm. diminishing returns there, but it's, I, I think it's a little bit more complicated for a lot of people than just being like, well, I have this rule that I spend time with my family. It's like, okay. I, I agree. And I know I reckon like I fall to this feels easy end of it. And, uh, yeah, I, I agree. That is certainly something I think I always wonder though, like the old question, like at the end, of, at the end of your days, do you want them to be over your grave? Well, he always had lots of money for us or like, Oh, I remember the camping trip. I remember he always took me to, you know, figure skating for my girls or, like what, what is going to come up? You know, I think that's a great point that it's, it's easy to draw boundaries if there's, if, if I want to say if you don't have any skin in the game, but that's not quite right. It's, it's easy to draw boundaries if there's no cost, right? There's no like personal trade off or cost associated with it. Even for somebody like me, I can, I mean, I can just say something ridiculous like, no, I won't, uh, I won't, my one boundary is I won't walk to the grocery store. I'll drive. Well, I mean, there's no cost because I would drive anyway. <laughs> like I'm not giving up anything by having that boundary. Yeah. An untested virtue basically. Yeah. It's like, this is not a temptation. So resisting it is not, it doesn't make you a virtuous person. I think, mm. I think the first boundary that I uh, started habitually doing in my business was listening to my gut about clients that like uh, I was working with Marcus Blankenship, friend of the show, Marcus Blankenship, who we were doing a trade and he was kind of giving me some coaching. And one of the first things I did was made a spreadsheet that had about 10 or 12 rows in it for client uh, prospect behavior. That was a red flag to me based on previous experience. Like I could be pretty sure if a prospect was unresponsive to emails while we were discussing a project that that behavior was not going to change after they'd given me money. So that was one of them. And, you know, if they clearly didn't respect my input to the project, that was another red flag. So I had like maybe a dozen of these sort of red flags. And that was, um, that was for me the easiest first boundary to institute because it was so closely correlated with Uh, emotional and mental pain, like avoiding emotional and mental pain. That that was where I started. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's easy to say no when you don't, again, when, when you don't like pay the price for saying no, but that was my first foray into saying no, where I I could, I could sort of visualize that there would be a cost, right? There there was a real sense of, oh, this is going to cost me the money from this client. But the what I was really doing was saving myself the, uh, I think more, um, impactful emotional and mental cost. <laughs> there were, t- you know, th- there was the cost of not getting the project, but there was also the benefit of not having to endure working with a bad client. Yeah. we do that with, um, project minimums as well. Right. You set a boundary. It's the same thing. Maybe it doesn't feel as emotional because you don't know the person. That's the other thing to remember with most of your clients, like you're never going to meet them again, right? I'm more likely to meet this one person who thought I was a terrible person for canceling a speaking engagement because their 
you know, down the road in Vancouver and they travel in some of the same communities I do still. But even that, like they, I was told that they would tell everyone I was a terrible business person and never to talk to me and never to send me any work. Not that they have in a number of years that they have known me, but it hasn't affected business in any fashion. So it won't. Yeah, I think the thing I'm noticing in the conversation, at least as I'm thinking about it, is that it's harder to say no to people the closer they are to you. Mm. And because, you know, some rando client sends me an email, I I have no problem deleting the email with mm. on, no reply, nothing. It's just, if they exhibit red flags in the email, like, hey, we've got something that you think you'd be a good fit for, uh, it should be really easy, delete, not interested. Uh, but I, you know, I, I don't know the, who cares, you know, it's like your, what's the quote, like your email, your email inbox is someone else's agenda for your day. Yeah. yeah. A list of whatever have, else thinks is important for you. Right. It's, there's just, I have no, I hang up on telemarketers. I don't care. I don't let them finish. It doesn't bother me. I don't <laughs> owe them anything. So, you know, in fact they, yeah, I consider it rude to call anyone, even someone I know without like previous appointment. It's such an intrusive thing. But anyway, the, the, but the closer people get to you. So I've got some, I've got some clients that I've had for a very long time, years, years and years. And, you know, for there's sort of two sides to it. Like it would be very, it would be much harder for me to say no to a request of theirs than it would be someone who is a brand new client or someone who's a prospect. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they're a long-term client because they respect my time and they're, you know, mm. we're partners and, and they would never, never like, you know, they ask permission to call me and, you know, there's all sorts of, it's a sort of a two way street. So I know if they ask for something, it's important. And I draw very little distinction between my personal and business life. I consciously made a decision a long time ago to really, an appointment's an appointment. It doesn't matter if it's for work or family or fun or whatever. It's all goes in the same calendar. If I have to be there, it goes in the same calendar and the same email, same everything. Everything's the same. So it's kind of a sliding scale for me. I don't have like a hard binary difference between clients and family, which I suppose goes back to, and friends, which goes back to my oft cited mantra of not working with people who you don't like, mm. you know, I'm very, I'm pretty strong about that. I, I can't think of a time I've violated that in the last at least five, maybe 10 years. So that said though, it, a, a little bit of this reminds me of, um, years ago when I used to be a wicked calorie counter, I used to be super controlled about everything I put in my mouth. And it would count, you know, everything and almost like scientifically. And one of the things that sort of occurred to me was like, you know, once you're an adult, you like grow up and no one's telling you, you can't eat that candy or whatever. You, there's no one in charge of you, really. Like you are in charge of you. So if you don't act like an adult, you're going to be like a, a baby man. You know, like I was like, if I don't control myself. I am going to have the repercussions of that. And yes, they're sort of down the road, maybe, you know, whatever, overweight, diabetes, uh, you know, lung cancer, if I don't control myself and, and, and smoke too much or something like that or smoke at all. 
And this kind of conversation keeps on, I keep on being reminded of that. It's like, if you don't control your life, the things that you can control, like your schedule, then someone else is going to control it for you. You, you have, and, and to the extent until it's full. So like the, the fish grows to fill the bowl, you know, it's like people are going to put demands on your time until you have no time left. And, and I know that when I, when that happens to me, the first thing that goes is exercise. The next thing that goes is sleep. And the next thing that goes is my mood. And I start to become grouchy and snippy with people who obviously don't deserve it. But, you know, you know, my wife and kids and it's just, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's cause I'm no spring chicken, but it's <laughs> obvious. I, as soon as I start skipping exercise, I know something's wrong. And it's, that's like my leading indicator of, okay, I'm going down a bad path. So, I mean, I mean, I guess that's just from experience and it gives me the kind of intestinal fortitude for someone to say, Hey, you know, we'd like you to come speak at this event. And I'd be like, oh, sorry, I, you know, I can't. And I probably would say I can't, I probably wouldn't say no. I think one thing to remember too, though, even like with your long-term clients is that your goal is to produce the best work you can for them or correct. Mm-hmm. And so one of your balance for their business. Yeah. 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 So, but the best, sorry, when one way you do that though, is by working with your boundaries, right? I've had one yeah. client that I've had for yeah. like six years, seven years or something. And we were chatting this morning and they were like, Oh, are your kids outside? Cause I could hear them outside my office door. And we brought in, they said, hi, cause they, you know, they said hi lots of times and they went back and we kept going on the work, but they know I'd call on Tuesdays. Right. If it doesn't work for us to have a check in one week, they just bump it to the next week um, because that's the way that I can be most productive for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that was, you know, Jonathan mentioned me slimming down my work week and that feeling like I wasn't at my best enough of the time was what led to that. It was it was this realization that, oh, more and more how I market my business is things that are essentially a real-time performance. Like I think you can kind of absorb a lot of efficiencies in things that are offline or asynchronous. Like if you're writing an article, you can edit it for forever until it's where you want it to be. Mm. But, you know, something like being on a podcast is like if you're if you're not it's kind of a performance. If you're not on, it's obvious <laughs> that you weren't on. More and more, you know, marketing my what I do for people was uh, I think suffering because I was, I was essentially overworked, you know, like for the first year or two of my business, I was basically working seven days a week for me, at least at my age, <laughs> my advanced age of, uh, <laughs> what at 43, I guess I'll be 43 this August. Um, it just my wasn't goodness. sustainable. You know, Walker. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, so that, realization gave me the the impetus I needed to again to say no in a way that I I knew it, it would it, ultimately I think it was it was actually better because it's forced me to and I have not by any stretch like succeeded wildly at this but it's forced me to be more intentional about how I use my time and that that's something that was some medicine that I needed for sure and it it still doesn't taste great, but I think that that's, um, you know, if you just sort of 
if you don't have those boundaries and um, all seven days of the week and all, you know, however many hours you're awake, if all of those are fair game for getting work done, then you can really develop some terrible habits when it comes to productivity and, and, and effectiveness. This episode is sponsored by Angular Dev Summit, coming September 11th through the 18th, 2017. Hi, it's Chuck from devchat.tv. I reached out to some of my friends in the Angular community to put on a completely free, no travel conference for Ruby developers. We have speakers like Rob Wormald, Jeff Welpley, and others coming to speak about all kinds of topics in Angular. So if you're trying to learn Angular or you're trying to level up Angular, come check it out. The talks are happening throughout the day each day and we'll have a chat available during each session. Attending the talks is free, but you need to register. Go to angulardevsummit.com. Mm, this is almost turning into a discipline conversation. It really is. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's like because that's that's what it feels like to me. Because there are boundaries I have to the, the boundaries that I set are mostly with myself. Mm-hmm. Because I, you know I don't punch in, I don't go to a job, I don't have a commute, I don't have I have very very little structure to my you know traditional structure to my days. So I can go down a YouTube rabbit hole with the best of them, you know. So I need to really be careful about that. And because if I, I could easily blow an entire couple of days on Reddit or YouTube or just like a complete waste of time or stay up is, you know, the worst, (laughs) the worst is when like a new season of like, of Arrow or something will come out (laughs) on Netflix. And I'm just like, like, oh man, I binge watched the whole fourth season of Arrow and I don't even, it's not even that good. And you know, it's it's boundaries we even set up at home too, right? Like we only watch TV on Friday, Saturday or Sunday night. And only if we can get to it before like eight 30. And if we can't, then we just know we're going to be up too late watching shows. So we don't. Yeah. So I wish I could say I was that disciplined. It, uh, we're definitely, <laughs> we're definitely not, but I, but I, I'm conscious enough to know the warning signs when I'm doing something stupid. Like, um, what's an example? Twitter is a great example because if I have like 30 seconds of like, Oh, what should I do now? I don't know what to do now. And just Twitter opens and then, then I'm mad because Twitter just makes you mad. That's what it's for. And I just like, so eventually I had to delete it off my phone because that, that, mm-hmm. that 30 seconds of impulse of, well, what should I do next? Oh, I should check Twitter. Why? No, I shouldn't check Twitter. It's a mistake. So I deleted it off my phone on my email. I have inbox pause set up. So I only, I only get inbound email once a day. So I don't get constant notifications. I'm not getting interrupted and pinged and all of this and that. But still, even in the, the even when I'm triaging email like that, there are times when I'm like, oh, I'm drained emotionally. I don't know if I can do any writing right now, which is what I should do. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna like clean out my inbox from all that junk or whatever. I, you know, I, I think and it's just that, a constant battle. In that instance, though, is that gonna like fill you up emotionally? No, but nothing else at that moment is either. Uh, would going what for a really twenty minute walk. No, the, the, I can't just go out of the house in the middle of the night because the the time this always happens is after everybody goes to bed. That's the danger zone for me. The kids are finally in bed, wife's in bed, and I'm not tired yet. I should be tired, but I still have all that like post day energy going. Um, you know, like I'll go to twice a week. I go to karate class at like you know I don't get home until nine thirty p.m. and I'm mm-hmm. and I'm jacked. 
you know, so there's no way I'm falling asleep for three hours. And I've got this, like, that's, that's the danger zone for me. It's like, Oh, I'll just have a beer and watch arrow. And then I hear birds tweeting and I'm like, Oh my God. (laughs) That's a a perfect time for boundary, right? We won't watch arrow. I'll have a beer. I'll read a paper book. I'm not allowed to open up my computer. Right. I take my computer sitting on my desk and stick it in a drawer. Yeah. It moves like a foot and a half for that. But that's why right, every night I close it down and put it in a drawer and then I have to actually like, okay, I've got to get it out for some specific reason. I did last night because I had to download a bunch of files and I came upstairs and started the kids on the bed routine, got those files downloading. And then when it was done, I turned it all off, put it back in the drawer. Yeah, that's a, it just having that one extra step because it forces you into conscious decision mode. And then you're like, no, I'm not going to, you know, it's like, don't leave the Oreos on the counter, put them away. <laughs> I'll eat them all. Yeah. In fact, get the wife to take them out with her because then she or else I will eat them all. Yeah. So email for me is email, Twitter, stuff like that is like Oreos on the counter. So I have to put them away somewhere somehow. And I do that with, you know, by inbox pause, deleting stuff off my phone. I never go on Twitter on my computer. It's always a phone problem. So you just do those things. And after a while, they start to add up and you have like an entire day a week when you can just walk to a breakfast place or read or whatever. Oh, so like yesterday, I went for a mountain run. I didn't start work till 10, probably 1030 by the time I took a shower. And then I take my daughter on Mondays out because she's homeschooled and she does some homeschool stuff and like colors and listens to an audiobook while I do work. I still got five hours of work in and I was home by four. You know, I, I do want to point out a lot of these pro, like discipline problems we're talking about, I think come up when you, when you kind of move out of that first level of freelancing where your main concerns are, how can I build more hours? Right. I, th- I think it's not totally fair to sum it up that way, but that's kind of the core concern is like survival, right? How can I build more hours? How can I get more clients or, uh, you know, how can I basically, how can I build more hours? So, um, you know, when you get out of that mode, you start to have these problems that we're talking about. And I know maybe to some people they sound like ridiculous problems to even be thinking about, but they are uh, real. I think when you, when you kind of climb out of the crab bucket of, well, I, I figured out a few things. Now I know how to you know, uh, make enough money and I'm not worried about turning down clients because I know there'll be others. Then you, I think that's really when these, these sort of discipline problems start to become bigger. I, 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 there is another, I agree with, I definitely agree with that. So this is like, it occurred to me once earlier in the conversation, it's like, they're probably people being, you know, like, Oh, nice for you to be able to take a day off every week or, or tell your clients, sorry, I only have phone calls on Tuesday. And if you don't like it too bad, you know, I'll work with someone else. All of that presupposes that you have plenty of work, you know, or, or, or at least plenty of income, let's say. And it feels like I, I, I can imagine people being like, well, that doesn't apply to me because I have to scramble constantly to get hours in or to get new clients or I just lost my whale client and I have to work 80 hours a week to try and find a new one somehow. But those, but it still happens like that, that lack of discipline sort of personal boundaries, I suppose, not so much with clients maybe, but the, the temptation to react to that sort of fear response with busyness but not productivity is Mm. extremely common 
in my experience Mm -hmm. so that, Oh, I know I'll do a bunch of, I've seen it all the time. I've seen like people in my family who work for themselves where they'll, they'll just go crazy with like an activity. They feel like something needs to be done. So they do something, but there's no connection between the two things. (laughs) So like, Oh, we need money. So, okay, let's go to, let's set up coffee with a million people or go to these networking events. And then, and absolutely nothing comes of any of it, but they keep doing it because something needs to be done. Something has been done. We are doing something, but it's just, it's complete waste. And it's kick, it's not even kicking the can down the road. It's even worse. You know, you're not putting, you're, you're burning through runway when really you should be changing tactics or maybe doing something more effective, whatever it is, you know, getting some coaching for crying out loud, talk to your mentors or something. Stop, stop having coffee with people if, if it's not working, you know what I mean? So I think it applies it. it I think it is a different situation once you get past the, once you get out of the crab bucket, but there's, it's still, I still see people doing it. It's sort of this sort of procrastination event that stems, seems to stem from fear. I think that's absolutely how it works. It's like, um, I mean, there's on the one hand, there's like, if you have X amount of hours and you don't have a lot of competition for your time, then the one thing that you have to do in that X amount of hours will be like a gas that tends to expand to fill that X amount of hours. Mm. Um, but then there's also, yeah, that sort of, um, frothy surface level activity that's not changing anything underneath, but it still feels like you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm hustling. Right. Oh, and that's what email is too often. Right. I said it, there's a quote and I don't know, one of Cal Newport's books where he says email is awesome because it's visibly productive. So it makes you look like you're doing something, which is actually why I like to define, I don't use productive often. I use the word effective because it's, you're actually doing good work then not just showing that you did something. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Social media is a big one for that too. It's like, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm networking on LinkedIn. It's like, okay. You know, or you're, or <laughs> no, you're maybe, not. maybe, but probably not. You're just surfing LinkedIn, reading stuff. Yeah. And, you know, usually distracting yourself from the hard work you should be doing. Yeah. Right? It's, and it's like the hard not, thinking, creative work or something. Yeah. And that is panic inducing. That stuff is panic inducing. I'm not, I'm, I'm definitely not trying to say that it's not because even, it even happens to me. Like, uh, you know, I've been doing this for, for whatever, 15, 16 years. It doesn't go away does not mm-hmm. go away. You just get used to the fact that it's always there. It's, there's a great book. I should probably uh, mention this in picks called, um, Oh geez, what's it called? I wasn't really thinking this was going to come up, but it's, uh, Stephen Pressfield. Um, I think it's the war of art or it might be do the work. I Can think you're it's talking about do the work, the resistance, the resistance. Exactly. The war but, of art. Yeah. It happens man, we could really, this is surprising. There's a, I'll just say this one thing. So, uh, Seth Godin has a book called the Icarus deception that has one of the most mind blowing insights that I've seen in a long time, which is that the landscape, the business landscape that knowledge workers exist in is so different than the sort of end of the industrial revolution era that my parents grew up in that are our comfort zone and safety zone are no longer overlapping. 
So what happened was the safety zone for a long time was in a particular place. These are the things you did to be safe. And that became our comfort zone. But now the safety zone moved out from underneath that, but we're still operating inside of our comfort zone. And having that insight completely or reading that from him completely explained to me the, a, a huge issue that you see going on, which is people engaging in behavior that is not going to get them anywhere. I'm like, why, why isn't everybody like be doing stuff that I tell them they should be doing? <laughs> why doesn't everybody just like follow the advice I give or we give? And it's because it's outside of their comfort zone. But what they don't recognize is that being inside the comfort zone is no longer safe. That's the danger zone now. Because if you are not out there creating art, as, as Seth Godin would say, then you are in trouble because the thing that you're doing is going to get replaced or it's not valuable. No one cares about it. You're just doing this sort of thing that used to be safe. It's certainly comfortable. And I, I, we don't need to go down a huge rabbit hole on this, but the reason that I brought it up is because it is panic inducing to operate outside of your comfort zone especially when you have a whole bunch of people around you telling you not to do it because it's dangerous when in fact not doing it is dangerous, but our brains haven't caught up to that yet because it's not normal yet. And it's very scary to have to create something. It's very scary in a weird lizard brain kind of way. It's irrationally threatening. So your brain will make, make you want to do anything except for that. And, uh, that war of art book, I guess it is. It's one of the Pressfield books talks about this at length. It's a great read. So, you know, not trying to minimize the attractiveness of procrastination and avoiding that, that fear, but you, you know, if you don't, if you want to work for yourself, I think you need to get comfortable with plowing through it somehow, figuring out little tricks that will get you to do it. And, and, you know, if it's setting boundaries, great, but I don't know, it seems pretty, it seems pretty critical. Yeah, I agree. The other thing to remember too, is that. So I lend myself naturally to boundaries. I think we've established that. I didn't at the beginning, <laughs> yeah. though. It took me a long time to get to this point, right? Now I hear, man, you're one of the most disciplined people I know, Curtis, because I just say, he's my friend who's like, it's frustrating to get coffee with you, with you, but I love that you put your kids first, right? I actually employ one of his daughters. That's how old his kids are. So he's like, I love that you spend that much time with your kids and you put such a focus on that. I would love to be able to have coffee with you more often, though. Um, but there was a long time when I wasn't right. When I, I took any client that came by, I said, I'll do a call whenever you want. I did lots of stuff that I don't do now. It's only after, you know, probably took me five years to really get to this point. And then another five years that we're at now to refine it to where it is now. Aha. The skeletons come out of the closet. <laughs> like we're always right. And I've, I've said, if you look back on my site, I'm sure I've said lots of things. You're like, but you don't agree with that now. And you're right, I don't. But you, know, you learn all the time, right? You stand on the, the shoulders of others. No, I'm just, I'm just teasing you. Goes. But no, yeah, no, you're making me cry, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's very hopeful that humans can change, isn't it? <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, man, Jonathan, I still want to go down some of those rabbit holes. Um, one of the things that occurs to me is that it seems impossible that let's say even 50% of people who are alive, uh, who, let's say who are born uh, tomorrow <laughs> could take such a radically different path where they, they're living in that zone of uncomfort in, or in the service of, you know, some kind of vision or some kind of art. Like that seems impossible. It's like, how, how could there be that many? 
but I also agree that it's the, it's like the only way out of um, the sort of entropy of the current system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we should probably not go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, we'll just we'll, we can point people at the books. There's I mean, whole books on this that I think are amazing and important for for people who work for themselves and really, I mean, almost anybody in the knowledge economy, if you want to call it that, or the sharing economy, economy or connection economy or whatever the term of the day is. But, you know, most people, I think I'm correct in saying that most people are what you would call knowledge workers. The majority of people in the U.S. are knowledge workers. So there needs to be, and, and it's happened relatively quickly. So people haven't, haven't caught up. There aren't really clear uh, social socially acceptable behaviors I guess it is but if you if you're working for yourself and you don't have a lot to go on in terms of like oh this is how it's done here's a well-worn path that everybody takes it's not like there's a freelancer school really you know like uh, higher ed wise but if you don't figure out how to set those boundaries and create discipline you'll just get eaten up. It just burns you out. Like that's been the thing for me that I've been, I've been noticing the last year, I would say since I started doing, going more into product is that I can burn myself out really like I get burned out because now I'm creating all the time and it's much more draining. Somehow it's much more draining. So you, I just have to do it or I'll flame out. I'll get sick of it. I'll, the, the resistance will be upon me and be like, Oh, you don't like this anymore. You don't need to do this anymore. Go work at Google. That is, that is <laughs> one of the big differences between that kind of survival level of freelancing and something beyond that is, um, you, you start to have a kind of a, I think you start to have a long-term vision. I, I would imagine all of us have some kind of long-term vision of like, this is what I'm working on today. This is how it connects with this bigger thing that I'm trying to build. Like I've heard Curtis say that kind of thing. Like you're trying to kind of get somewhere and it's not just status quo or more of the same. It is, it's like, it's like trying to build, you know, a giant skyscraper all by yourself is what it feels like sometimes. Yeah. With no, with no, blueprints. Right. But yet <laughs> you're, there's this, uh, certainty that you will be able to do it given enough time. And so you really start thinking about like, geez, how can I conserve my attention? <laughs> how can I conserve my energy so that when I decide to work on this thing, like I can freaking bring it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's even worse than no blueprints is that I think that there's other blueprints out there, but they're not going to quite work for what you want. Right. That's, oh, that that's, is even worse. The, that's the, the formula thing. that everyone else used is good. It's you get some good hints in it, but it's not quite going to work for you because things have changed. Yeah, yeah, right. So it's this promise. All the blueprints out there are the are promise of of success, but no, no, that's like it's not guaranteed. Yeah. Just one real quick data point, Jonathan. Uh, according to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, by the beginning of the nineteen seventies. Around 40% of the working population in the U.S. and Canada were classified to the information sector. Pretty, pretty wow. close proxy for what you're talking about. That was wow. in the, the 70s. 70s. Wow. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, society, I mean, that's a radical change. Radical change. That's huge. From, huge. from factory to computers. 
And it, it makes, you know, this is totally somebody else's drum to beat. Uh, I, I suppose probably mostly Seth Godin, but you know, you're either creating art or you're not doing much of anything. And he uses the term art, I think a little more broadly than people, people normally think of it, not necessarily fine art, but his definition I think is apt. You know, it's, it's, you, you need to stare into the void and create not to, not to make it sound overly grandiose, but it feels like that. You need to do something that never, somebody never did before. There's no rules. You need to make it up, improvise. And it's super hard, super scary. And, and it, uh, you know, and without setting boundaries, then, you know, with constant interruptions and, I mean, there's just so much great stuff on YouTube and Netflix and all of these things that feel really good. There's Oreos everywhere. <laughs> like, they're everywhere and they're great. They're delicious. But you're not, you know, they're not going to help you build anything. And, and you need to exhibit, at least for me, I, I consciously had to say, look, you know, no one's in charge of you except for you. So you better get on it, dude. We'll get the editors to lay in some uh, some Stravinsky or Wagner there for that little <laughs> section, Jonathan. Why, thank you. Uh, <laughs> feel like apocalypse now. <laughs> yeah, you need some swelling strings behind that, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know what I'm picking. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> I got to say, Curtis, that you've got me thinking about, like, what, one of the interesting things about such a beautifully designed operating system as Mac OS is that it makes <laughs> there's, it, it removes all kinds of um, <laughs> speed bumps and the speed bump mm. between productivity and hours of watching YouTube is, you know, just as smoothed out as anything else. If I'm curious if you can report on your findings, like switching to Linux, which I, I think is awesome, but also I think you can make the argument it's not quite as polished and integrated and, uh, you know, lovely as an operating system as OS, OS 10 is or OS X yeah, now. I mean, and that's good in some ways. Cause like I said, I can't get my text messages, right? Yeah. You've, um, you've got me thinking like, what would that look like if I switched to a, a more constrained environment? Yeah, and outside of that, like, I usually get booted off the Skype call when we start it to record within the first couple of minutes and I start again and it's fine, right? But I just moved all my calls to Zoom except for this one and I don't have any problems anymore at all. Hmm. And the bandwidth's better, like Google Hangouts. Nah, Google Hangouts are paying the butt before, so I'd switch to Zoom. But Google, I just record my coaching calls and it renders them audio and video for me and I just send the link to people. That's it. I don't have to... So it... it Made me change some of my processes, um, but made them better. There's actually an interesting study. Um, the basics of it are like there's a big uh, strike with the British Underground. And because the way they do the transit cards there, they can tell exactly where you went um, all over the place. And people found new routes and like 20% of the people kept the new routes. So saying that the original route, although it probably should have been optimized because they've been doing this for years, was not. They found a route that had some higher value to it. Um, so I, I did have some issues that I still not sure I resolved, like my favorite writing tool, uh, Scrivener for big stuff is not present and there's not really a good option, but all told, I would say it's, it's been a very easy transition and cut out things that I just, I don't have, I, I canceled my Adobe software 
because I can't use it. Mm-hmm. And I've always been like fighting, oh, should I, should I not? Because I do use Lightroom a bit and I tried out the Linux alternative Darktable and just cut that out. So no, no. And then went through a ridiculous call with Adobe trying to convince me to spend $60 so I didn't cancel my subscription and have to pay them 30 right now. Which seemed, I don't know. Insane yeah, the, to me, but. Yeah. <laughs> the one month, uh, the month by month subscription that's actually a year long contract. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, on that note, if you're in it, you can downgrade to like the cheapest plan possible, wait a month, and then cancel it because then you're only paying the, <laughs> the, the cancellation fee on the cheaper plan. Hmm. <laughs> uh, which I didn't realize at the time, but afterwards I read about it and said, oh, you can do that. I had already done that. So I think. And those constraints are good. Um, like I said, the writing tool I use is now called ZimWiki, and it's not quite as nice as Scrivener, but it also doesn't produce. It's a lot. Maybe it's more focused, or I just have to like focus on the words more instead of like looking at formatting and exporting and all this other stuff. I can just use Markdown and, and do it. So it's more of a say. It's more of a wiki style. Um, so I wouldn't say I have all the hurdles totally worked out on it, but I think. If you're thinking of this change, go for it. I think it's pretty easy. And I, I'm using elementary OS, which I picked a few episodes ago. It's very close to Mac OS. Yeah, there's a sort of, uh, I mean, I guess that's the sort of boundary is, is, is voluntary constraints. Mm. Yep, that's exactly. This is one of them. I don't even feel like it's that constraining. It just, I just finally gave up on things. So I don't, I didn't have to continue to decide every month about Adobe or look at the charge and go, uh, do I really need this? I just don't have it now. Mm. It feels weird as a, like, I think about myself 10 years ago, like, it was all about, like, adding, and now it seems more about subtracting. (laughs) And that's a, we talk about this too, like, generalist versus, like, a niche, right? It was when you first started a web, it was, oh, we do everything, and we're IT people, and now it's, no, 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 (laughs) I do this one specific thing, right? Um. I talked to a client today even, and he's got a bunch of stuff that's for me. And then he's like, he has this, wants this, you know, a fairly extensive drip integration. I said, oh, you, I have the person to talk to because it's not me. I'm sure I can figure it out. I just, it's not the right project for me. So I'm sending it on to my friend, Jason. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like the, the first few times I was able to say no to clients, it was because, or to prospect, prospective clients, it was because I knew they would be a pain in mm. But now it's because... I know that I, I can't, it's not, I'm not going to hit a home run. <laughs> so I don't even want to uh-huh. g- get up to bat if I'm not going to come pretty close to hitting a home run or feel like I have a really good chance of doing that. Yep. Yeah, that's so true. So like, and so you're just putting boundaries on yourself, right? The boundary is now I won't hit a home run, so I'm not doing it. Well, it's, right. it, yeah, I mean, it's more nuanced than that. It's, it was not just like a, a logical decision. It really comes from an emotional place of, uh, it's like, once you taste, I'm not the first person to say this. I'm pretty sure Blair Enns or David Baker said, once you taste what it's like to work with a client where you really are an expert and you really can make a dramatic life-changing improvement to their uh, life and business, you don't want to go back to being sort of out of your depth. You just don't want to go back to that. Nodding so hard. But it takes... It's not like a Wednesday, it's the old way, and then Thursday, it's the new way. It's not that, it's, it's a transition that is more gradual. And so it, there are these moments where you think about going back to the old way because you're like, wow, I sure could use the money because um, most people are going to have, I think, a sort of, th- 
not a dry spell exactly, but when they're in that transition, that's when they need the most discipline, but they also have the least evidence that that discipline is justified. So it's tough. It's really, it's, it's a tough thing to navigate. But man, once you've really tasted what it's like to work with a client where you can change their life, you do not want to go back. Yeah, we have a friend, I'm sure no, we all know what I'll leave nameless who is doing Ruby stuff and switched over to Shopify apps. Right. And I know Philip, we talk with him regularly and a number of months ago it was tough. Mm-hmm. And it, is it tough now? Uh, he's, he's making doing, me jealous. I want his yeah. business now. <laughs> but, and so I've been talking with him for a number of years and there's been a numerous tough times because I've known him for 10 years now and there's been numerous tough times and he's continued to stick with it. And it is not tough now. We, you know, he's, he's pretty there, much there at the dream of that, that quote unquote passive income. That's not really passive, but where he is able to sell his products and that's really all he needs to do. I know. I, I think I am not giving away too much when I, I quote <laughs> him saying like he went for an outing over the weekend. It was gone for probably eight hours and he's like, oh yes, I sold, I forget, $500 worth of products while I was out <clears throat> enjoying myself. So yeah, yeah. It's that kind of like, wow, really? I, I mean, I have days like that too, where uh, I'm doing nothing related to work at all. And I'm receiving uh, what I guess an economist would call rents on intellectual property, you know, making yep. sales of books. But uh, yeah, it's a, he had to stick it out and stick to his boundaries for a long time, right? Yeah. And make some... Uh, some well, well thought out compromises. Like, okay, I will mm-hmm. take this client, even though they don't fit... Yes the the definition of what I'm trying to build, but they serve the practical purpose of that's right. allowing me not they did to fit his current ideal client, but they fit what it would have been say a year ago. Right. So he continued to take them because they were in a good client. He had worked with some of these before, and he took them then, but they're not really where he wanted to go. They were a step to help, just help bridge the gap. Yep. Yep. Help him avoid drawing down savings or whatever. Yeah, I've been given that piece of advice a lot lately because people people are like, how do I, you know people who are billing by the hour who want to make a switch off it because they all hate it, but they don't know how to get off it. And I'm like, I I recognize that I've taken such a hard line against hourly billing that people are going to be embarrassed if they tell me that they're still doing it. And so I had to start saying explicitly like, no, it's okay. You don't have to go cold Turkey. You can, you can, you know, get, you got to have, keep the lights on money, whatever that means for you. It's different for everyone. But you, if you're trying to figure out how you're going to keep the lights on or pay your next mortgage payment or your car payment or whatever it is, you're going to be freaking out and making bad decisions. So do whatever you can to, to, uh, get that baseline of cash flow. And if, if it has to be hourly, then fine, go ahead. I'm not going to, I'm not going to complain, but mentally you just need to know that you're doing it for a strategic reason, which is to get off to, to sort of give yourself that platform to jump off of. And really the, the only concern is you can't let it eat up all your time because then you won't have any, any, you, you won't be using that platform to grow your business in a different direction. But yeah, anyway, I just wanted to say that publicly. <laughs> Hourly billing is nuts, but if you have to make some kind of you know, to make the shift, it's it's pretty hard to go to cold turkey. Show you picks. This episode is sponsored by Ruby Dev Summit, coming October 16th through 23rd, 2017. Hi, it's Chuck from devchat.tv. 
I reached out to some of my friends in the Ruby community to put on a completely free, no travel conference for Ruby developers. We have speakers like Uncle Bob Martin, Fabio Akita, and others covering topics from clean architecture to artificial intelligence and machine learning. The talks are happening throughout the day each day, and we'll have a chat available during each session. Attending the talks is free, but you need to register. Go to rubydevsummit.com. Let me start with Jonathan. Okay, I'm going to run through uh, several quickly. So mentioned earlier the uh, Stephen Pressfield books. It, I, I looked while we were talking. The one I read was Do the Work. Uh, War of Art is the other one. I think probably either one is amazing, but Do the Work is the one I read. Uh, Icarus Deception by Seth Godin is a great book as well. For people who are sort of struggling to find their way in knowledge economy, reality. Um, I've got a, a an article about sort of my list of red flags, uh, red flag clients or red flag behavior that illustrate to me that a client's not going to be a good fit. So I'll link to that. People can check that out and maybe use it as a basis for creating their own list, like Philip mentioned earlier. And the last thing, speaking of constraints, I, I got a gorgeous messenger bag for Christmas like two years ago. And I never, it's just beautiful. I loved it. I asked for it. I wanted it. It's so nice. It was expensive. And I never used it. It was literally in my, the top shelf of my closet for an entire year. And then I, and because I had too much stuff to fit in it, I was like, oh, it's just not a practical bag for me. I need to have all this junk in here. And it's, it doesn't, it just rattles around in the bottom. And fine, you know, like after this, this past Christmas, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, using that bag from now on and I'm just going to change my business to accommodate that bag. <laughs> it's like, I'm not carrying around all the extra junk that I usually carry around the chargers and the extra this and the extra that and the clicker and all that stuff. Forget it. This, this bag is my business. Like this is going to define my business. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of the conversation about Linux. So I just wanted to link to the satchel and page messenger bag and, another thumbs up for setting perhaps arbitrary, but boundaries on my business. Okay. That's it. Fill up. I'm going to pick just a general idea. Uh, if you want to blow somebody away, send them a handwritten card. That could be your long suffering, uh, romantic partner. <laughs> it could be, uh, a client could be a friend, could be somebody who bought your book online. I don't know, but if you want to really impress somebody, um, send them a handwritten card. That's my pick for this week. Handwritten cards. Love it. I do that. I'm going to pick two books. One is Boundaries by Dr. Henry McLeod. He's got a bunch of them actually. So like Boundaries for Leaders is another one you may look at, or if it's marriage or kids you're wondering about, those are all good options. And then Deep Work, uh, another great book around setting boundaries and really focusing on your creative, being your creative best. So with that, I guess that wraps up the show. That was a lot more fun than I thought boundaries would be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. All right, gang. See you next week. Adios. Ciao. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.